This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, no episode tomorrow, but we are going to have episodes on Friday and then Tuesday through Friday next week. Uh, Tomorrow is my, I guess, like official start of vacation until the end of the year, Um, but I've banked a bunch of episodes for people. So uh, yeah, this feed will not be going dark. So stay tuned um, as you're, you know, trying to get away from your families over the holidays or whatever, but uh, I encourage everyone to to keep listening. So let's get into it, Brad. Uh, Let's dive into the water cooler. Tell me what you've been watching recently. I have been uh, doing some catch up on year end stuff as we uh, bumped up our year end coverage, much to my chagrin, because I was uh, looking forward to having a couple extra weeks to figure this out. Uh, but it, but instead, that's not how the cookie crumbled. Uh, so I tried to get into as much as I could and uh, caught up with some things. And so I, uh, I saw Saltburn, uh, which is the latest film by Emerald Fennell, the director of Promising Young Woman. Uh, have you seen Saltburn yet, Ben? I have. It's a very, very divisive movie, and I'm not—I don't honestly—I'm not sure where I stand on it these days. How, how did how did it work for you? Uh, I loved it. Uh, it is twisted and uh, dark and peculiar, and it, like very much has a, a, a talented Mr. Ripley vibe by way of uh, today's youth, if you will. Um, and Barry Keoghan uh, and Jacob Elordi, I thought were fantastic. I mean, really, everyone is great in this. Uh, movie and for those of you that don't know i mean it it, uh, it follows barry keoghan as this uh kid named oliver who is going to oxford uh but he is on scholarship so he's kind of looked down upon by all the rest of the rich kids who are attending you know this uh this big school um and he strikes up a, a friendship uh with jacob elordi's character um and it, it has like that single white female talented mr ripley kind of vibe where he kind of becomes a little bit uh, obsessive about it and so he uh Thinking that Oliver doesn't have anywhere to go, um, you know, once school is done, he invites him to their family estate, which is called Saltburn. Um, and 
things just start to get uh, uncomfortable and, and strange. And uh, yeah, Barry Keoghan is just fantastic in, in the role. And so uh, I, I really liked what it, what it had to offer. It's, uh, it's, it's trashy for sure, but like it's the kind of trashy that I, I liked to, to get lost in. So yeah. Yeah, I, I always appreciate the provocative nature of what she's trying to do. She's really trying to like push people's buttons. Um, and so there are a lot of like super memorable scenes in this movie. And especially, has- especially the ending. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it has a lot to to recommend, even if you don't walk away like, you know, loving every aspect of, her, of it or anything. I think, you know, just the the look of the movie, you could watch the thing on mute and it's like just a gorgeous thing to to sort of behold as a, you know, as like an art piece almost. Yeah. Don't watch um, this one with uh, like the family, though, or any uh, children nearby, because there's a lot of strange what the fuckery uh, going <laughs> yes. on. So, yeah, just just be aware of that. So it's in theaters right now. I read uh, a report the other day that said that um, Saltburn is coming to Amazon Prime videos starting this Friday. Yeah. So I think December 22nd is the date on that. That is true. Uh, okay, cool. What else have you been watching? I also saw The Holdovers, which is the latest film from Alexander Payne, uh, who's done such great things as Sideways and The Election, uh, some of my favorite movies. Um, he always has a great way of combining drama with with comedy in a very uh, quirky and, and satisfying way. Uh, and The Holdovers is, is no exception. I actually think The Holdovers is one of my favorite Alexander Payne movies uh, in a while, actually. Um, and uh, this one stars Paul Giamatti as this curmudgeonly teacher at a private high school. Uh, and he has to deal with some you know, uh, normal teenage boys. Um, and then you have Dominic Sessu who kind of plays this rapscallion of a kid who uh, is among this small group of kids who are left back at school during the holidays because their families are uh, either too too busy or a couple of them you know, are, are orphaned or they can't afford to go home or something like that. And Dominic Sessa's uh, mother, who has a new husband, decides that they're um, going to take a, like, a late honeymoon. And so he ends up stuck back at school with four other kids. Uh, and Paul Giamatti is uh, just not the kind of teacher who is really uh, trying to show them a good time. And he kind of plays this perfectly... Uh, grumpy man with a, a hard outer shell and uh, it follows you know a f- familiar trajectory because like they both have something to learn from each other and that kind of thing but because it's in the hands of Alexander Payne and you have these two fantastic performances from Paul Giamatti and Dominic Sessa uh, it just has a lot of heart to it it's it's a Christmas movie too and adding to that is also um, uh, Divine uh, Randolph who is outstanding in her supporting role in this as well. Mm-hmm. And they just, they just make for this nice little makeshift family. And uh, really, I, I love this movie so much. And because it takes place at Christmas, like it's one that I will happily like watch over and over again during the holidays. I, I like, I'm very eager to add it to my, my Christmas repertoire of movies. Yeah. A hundred percent. This one's like absolutely going in the rotation. No questions asked. It's, it's such a perfect uh, Christmas movie that really gives you that sense of, you know, that that prickliness that you're talking about, that's very like, um, it's not quite Scrooge like, but I, I guess it's yeah. like Scrooge adjacent, you know, and then um, and then there's also that sort of like uh, them learning something from each other, which on the surface kind of sounds, I don't know, treacly and maybe a little annoying or something but i just think this movie hits all the right notes i think it just it really really worked for me it's one of my favorites of the year yeah it just it just feels so authentic it doesn't feel like it's trying to be like this schmaltz factory you know but again that's and that's just you know alexander payne knows how to do that he knows how to craft really genuine characters that you can't help even even when they're you dislike them like you can't help but like root for them and, and want them to get better yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well said. Um, okay, what else have you been checking out? I also saw All of Us Strangers. Have, have you seen All of Us Strangers? I have. I love this movie. Yeah, this one. So every now and then, uh, it, it's hard to go into a movie uh, in this job and not know things about it. But every now and then, I'm 
able but mostly by happenstance to kind of stay clear of what like a movie is about and an, all, all i know is that people are buzzing about it and that it's supposed to be very good and this for me thankfully was one of those movies um it's directed by andrew hay who co-wrote it uh with taichi yamada and it follows uh andrew scott who everyone knows as the the sexy priest from uh fleabag and paul mescal uh, and so the, the story mostly focuses on andrew scott and it's it's interesting because like it's when I describe like the, the plot, it'll kind of sound like a, a strange sci-fi thing, but it's done in such a, a simple, quaint way that it doesn't feel like that. And so Andrew Scott plays this like screenwriter uh, who's having a hard time writing. He lives in this like kind of like uh, this high-rise apartment complex that doesn't really have a lot of people living. It's like him and Paul Mescal's character and maybe a couple other people. Um, and so he goes back home to like visit his uh, his parents, who are played by Jamie Bell and Claire Foy, which seems strange at first because when you see Jamie Bell and Claire Foy, they look like they are Andrew Scott's age, and it's weird. They're like, how could they possibly be his parents, and what are they doing? Uh, and then as it's slowly revealed, some somehow Andrew Scott uh, is going to see his parents who died 30 years previously and he's talking to them and engaging with them as if they're just meeting their grown-up son and learning about his life since he was a kid and since they passed away and it has this like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind meets about time kind of vibe to it um and it like it just really like struck a chord with me uh and like i, I think part of it comes from the fact of like uh, you know, my, my, my father died not, not too long ago. And just like thinking about like the possibility of like what it would be like to have, like if your parents passed away and have them catch up with you like years, even decades later. Yeah. And just that concept alone was like so overwhelming. Yeah. And so on, on top of that, like you also have this incredible dynamic between Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal who strike up this relationship with, uh, with each other in the movie. Um, but there's just there's so many interesting, you know, twists and wrinkles that like really just dig into like the heart of this u- unique concept. And I, I would really just overwhelmed by how good this movie was. Yeah, man, it's it's just like a dagger to the heart. It's so well done and like so beautiful. And I'm excited to, to say that one of the interviews that I've banked for the podcast uh, next week is with the cinematographer of this movie. Oh, cool. And I just think it looks so gorgeous. And like, um, yeah, I, I think. I care a lot about rules, uh, typically, you know, in, in movies like, okay, set the stage, give me some boundaries here. Let me understand what kind of world you're creating. And all the strangers is like the rare movie that really, really, really worked for me that didn't really get into the rules very much. It's very like, um, you know, there's no explanation. There's no like, uh, uh, dialogue or like exposition about like, oh, I've suddenly stepped into a time portal or anything like that. It's very like dreamy. It kind of takes you from one scene to another. And there's no real like, you know, <laughs> Andrew Scott's character never meets a scientist who, who explains how all of this is happening or anything yeah. like that. Um, and so I just really appreciated the way that it sort of has that uh, that simple, like really powerful emotional core at the center of it, but it doesn't get bogged down by explanations. It really just like lets the emotions sort of carry the whole movie, you know, as, as it's going. So yeah. um, I, I thought the performances were like insane in this movie too. Like everybody, Jamie, Jamie Bell and Claire Foy, you know, as, as the parents, um, I just thought they brought like, <laughs> there, there was just not a false note in the whole movie. I thought it was terrific. So yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely love it. I think, I think that comes out in theaters um, on Friday, this Friday. So uh, yeah, check that out. All the strangers. Uh, what else have you been watching, Brad? Uh, I also saw The Iron Claw, which is the latest film by Sean Durkin, uh, who kind of uh, you know garnered fame from uh, Martha 
Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. That's the name of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. And so um, he, he's a pretty popular director on, on the indie circuit. And this latest one is uh, an A24 movie that follows the true story of the Von Erich wrestling family. Uh, you have Holt McCallany, who plays the patriarch of this family, uh, played by Zac Efron and Jeremy Allen White and Harris Dickinson. Um, and they are this very famous Texas wrestling family who had a, uh, a, this independent, you know, wrestling organization that was televised and everything. And they were kind of like local folk heroes and they're very famous in, in the wrestling world. Uh, and they're famous really for uh, a tragic reason. Um, you know, I won't get into the, all the details because watching it is really what makes it a powerful uh, drama, but the, the family is very much uh, stricken by tragedy after tragedy. Uh, and man, the performances in this movie are incredible. Um, I, I can safely say that Zac Efron has never been better uh, in a movie. Like this is like a career defining performance, uh, you know, and not just like, uh emotionally as well but like physically like he was already a very chiseled man like you know you you look at him and he's got one of those like statue bodies Mm -hmm. but he like bulked up to like crazy levels like to the point where his his face has changed like his jawline is is thicker that's how big he got for this movie um and uh, watching them all together uh as as brothers and everything it there's there's some real heart to it and which which makes the the fall you know, even harder when you start experiencing this family's tragedies. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it, it doesn't necessarily bring anything new to the table when it comes to this kind of story. But like it's this it's this, you know, American myth and and tragedy uh, and brought to life where like it gives you just enough hope to like to cling to before like it, you know, continually brings you down. But it is uh, it was fantastic. I, I really loved it. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you love that. BJ loved it as well. Uh, we talked about it not too long ago on, on the show. But um, man, yeah, that, I like it, it's hard to describe like watching somebody like Zac Efron come from, you know, the Disney channel kind of, you know, that whole school of acting and graduate into something like this. You just kind of love to see it, you know, like you yeah. love to see uh, people just like um, evolving and, and stepping into different phases of their career. And, uh, and, you know, Zac Efron has made a lot of movies that I would qualify or, or sort of um, categorize as like uh I don't know, like dumb bro comedies kind of thing. Like maybe, maybe you have like a better relationship to those movies than I do, Brad, like the, you know, the neighbors and like Bay watches of the world. Um, but this could mark like a, a new, uh, I don't know, a new tier or something for him as an actor. Like, I think a lot of people maybe looked at him one way and are going to look at him a completely different way as a performer after seeing what he does in this movie. So, yeah, cause he's, he's definitely done some great dramatic work, uh, in, in recent years, you know, ex- extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. He's, he's very good in, um, and you know, and then there's like, there's stranger stuff like the, the paper boy and whatnot. And he's tried a lot of things cause he has the ability to do that. Uh, I do love neighbors. I don't think Baywatch is, is all that fantastic, but yeah, seeing him do something like this, I hope it allows him to like really tap into like a new kind of path to like continue making, making movies like this. Um, yeah. Where, yeah, where he can really like destroy his stuff. Cause he's, he's a fantastic actor. He really is. Awesome. Uh, okay. You've got a couple more things you've been catching up with. Yeah. I also saw anatomy of a fall, uh, which is another movie that has been getting a lot of awards buzz. And this was one that like I'd been hurt, um, told, you know, basically just by seeing it around a lot that it was, you know, really something to, to pay attention to. Um, and it is uh, a, a French film and it's directed by uh, Justine Trier. At least I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce her name. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it it's, uh, basically follows uh, a the, the court case that follows after this tragic death of a woman's husband who has seemingly 
fallen from uh, a, a second story window and busted his head and basically died. But the circumstances surrounding the death are seem uh, suspicious enough that some people are wondering whether or not his wife is the one uh, who killed him. And so what you what uh, unfolds is the court case. And there's a little bit of Gone Girl in here, but without... Uh, David Fincher's kind of sensational approach to it and uh, 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 lambasting of the, the the media within it, but mm-hmm. but really what it does is like it's it kind of just puts like the concept of uh, marriage on trial and like the dynamic that exists between like a husband and a wife about and like how how they argue and relate to each other and like how you perceive relationships from the outside looking in, especially when that's something that is put on public display for people to scrutinize you know like how how would it feel and how would it look you know how would you be perceived if the arguments you have with your significant other are suddenly you know broadcast for people to hear and and judge you and determine whether you are a person who could have potentially killed their husband yeah uh and so there's uh there's some really great drama here there's uh um just like great courtroom uh drama and dialogue snappy back and forth between the, the lawyers and whatnot. But also, you know, it's um, at the core of it, you know, it's really held together uh, by this fantastic uh, lead performance by uh, Sandra Huller. Is that how you pronounce her name? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she, she's just great. And um, the, I, I, no spoilers as far as like how it ends up or anything like that, but just the performance she gives makes it so that the focus, you know, is on the emotion and not necessarily on like the intrigue of murder. And that was a really like refreshing approach to kind of like this kind of movie. So yeah, I, I really liked it. Yeah. Anatomy of a Fall. Man, what a movie. Great stuff. That one, I think I want to say is still in some theaters, but um, it was like in theaters earlier this year. And I'm not sure if it's available on VOD. I'll try to it's, check that. Yeah, it's, it's not yet. Cause I, I, I actually had to get a screener to make sure that I, I saw it because there was nowhere else for me to watch it yet. Okay. Yeah. But if you haven't seen that one yet, definitely put it on your, you know, on your radar because that one is like 100% worth catching up with. Yeah. Um, okay. And you also saw May, December, which is it dropped on Netflix a little while ago. And this one got like a huge push in, in sort of popularity and conversation as, as it hit Netflix. And a lot of people were talking about this. And uh, I'm very curious what you think about this movie, Brad. So I'm kind of torn on it, uh, honestly, because uh, I, I don't think it's bad, but I'm I'm kind of perplexed by like the, the overwhelming reaction to how how great it is. Um, and I do want to commend uh, the story it's telling and, and how it handles uh, the main character. And so um, it's the May December stars Natalie Portman and, and Julianne Moore. And um, it's kind of loosely uh, in, inspired by like a, a real life uh, story that happened where um, a, a woman basically groomed like, you know, a seventh, seven year, uh, yeah, seventh grade boy. Uh, and it turned into a, you know, a relationship and they had a kid and everything. Uh, and so um, the, the name you might, might've heard is, is uh, Mary Kay Letourneau. Uh, and so Julianne Moore kind of plays that character, a woman who uh, had a relationship with a seventh grade boy, ended up pregnant, you know, there's a whole court case, went to jail and now flash forward, they have a family, uh, they have several kids and Natalie Portman is playing an actress who comes to their home to meet her because she's going to play Julianne Moore's character uh, in a film. Uh, Charles Melton plays the the young boy who is now a grown man uh, who is still in a relationship with Julianne Moore. And I, I I really like the focus on this kind of story as far as like dealing with uh, child grooming and like how this kind of thing happens because the way Julianne Moore is portrayed is not as this pure villain. Most of the time when you see characters who 
prey upon uh, children and and manipulate them in this way. They're made out to be monsters, you know, like Stanley Tucci, you're the salmon girl, you know, lovely bones kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Julianne Moore is very much like a normal woman and like making sure that she's painted in this way where she seems just like any you know, person you might meet in, you know, the grocery store in a neighborhood living a normal life uh, makes it that much more menacing what she does and this relationship is cultivated with this person who was just a kid when it happened. Uh, and Charles Melton does such a great job of playing a grown man who is obviously still very much kind of like a kid at heart in a very tragic way. Like he, he was clearly thrust into this world of adulthood and like what seemed like, you know, a, a uh, a valid relationship to him at the time because he's he's just a kid now you know reflecting on it he just kind of feels lost and you know doesn't really know like what to do with all these emotions that he's finally reconciling Mm -hmm. at the same time the way todd haynes has framed this is is melodramatically um to the point where sometimes like it felt comedic and unintentionally which is all the more like Uh, complicated by the fact that it was submitted as a comedy for the Golden Globes, which Golden Globes, whatever, fuck off, you know, like (laughs) doesn't matter, that kind of thing. But just labeling it that makes it feel strange. But I I couldn't help but like be caught off guard by the use of the score in this movie to underscore certain dramatic moments. And because it's this very overwhelming, like in your face piano, like do, 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 do. It's, 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 I couldn't help but like kind of like laugh at certain moments, even though it didn't seem like I, sh- I should be laughing. So I, I've seen enough interviews with Todd Haynes at this point to, to know that he intended for you to be laughing in those moments. Okay. That's um, good, it's just a strange approach. Like I, I, I agree that it's like really bizarre. And I had that same reaction when I was watching it. I was kind of, it, it kind of kept me at arm's length from the movie because I was like, does this movie understand what yeah, it's doing? Yeah, like, really? it, like it feels like it's undercutting it. Yeah, but evidently that was the point. And like, I, I don't know, maybe I just wasn't, wasn't exactly on the movie's wavelength or something. But I, I find myself like liking this movie more as I think about it later than I did watching it in the moment. It's one of those for me. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I will say like, yeah, I, I do keep thinking about it. And like, I keep dwelling on, you know, whether it, it, it works or like, and if it's, I, I, I think, I just think it's one of those things where like if a general audience is seeing this like they're gonna they're gonna be like what the hell is going on yeah <laughs> yeah and especially uh with the framing that like hey this is a comedy like that's such a strange way to go into seeing this movie definitely if you've not seen this yet don't go into it expecting you know a, a barrel of laughs it's, it's definitely not that kind of movie yeah. at all um but it, it does have like you know genuinely funny moments in it occasionally yeah, so absolutely. It's, just, it's just a strange yeah very very strange movie um, I would, the only thing I agree with every single thing you said, Brad, except for the idea that Julianne Moore's character is like a, a quasi normal woman. I feel like she's presenting as one, but like, yeah, that's, that's, see... that, that's, that's what I mean. Like, I, yeah, okay. I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't mean like her character absolutely is a normal woman. Like she's, she's definitely, you know, an insidious kind of person and very manipulative, but like they, she's, she's, but the way she's like portrayed in that kind of thing is it's there's, you could easily see why somebody like, you know, wouldn't wouldn't look at her and think of her, you know, as, as a bad person. Yeah. There's almost like this G whiz Americana kind of vibe that like the, the family has, you know, in this, in this home that they've built in this family and, you know, they're barbecuing and everything just kind of feels like, um, you know, it, it could be a completely different movie where this family is like, uh, is much more traditional, but like it's built on this foundation of, of sort of this like rotten foundation almost yeah. in a way. And she's also like, as you see in several scenes behind closed doors, she is like totally emotionally stunted as well. And like, oh, not yeah. 
doing well and like very um you know that her her relationship with the uh the baking company that she has and all that or the baking that she does is uh it's, it's one of those moments that like i think leans heavily into the comedy but also actually reveals a lot about that character and her mental state and all that yeah stuff. So, for sure there's a lot to chew on with this movie. It's it's that's why I keep coming back to it I, in, in my mind. It's just like, there's so many ideas being presented. Um, I, I think it's really, really good in that way. But like, yeah, it's, for me, like the experience of watching it was very, um, I was like thrown off in, <laughs> in a pretty profound way watching it. Uh, but it, it stuck with me. So I guess I'll say that about it. But uh, okay. So yeah, that's, that's May, December. It's on Netflix right now. Um, let's take a break and then we'll come back and uh, talk about some more stuff. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Okay, Brad, I rewatched Little Women from 2019, Greta Gerwig's version. Lucky. And, yeah, man. Like, I, I know, you know, we, we talked about this movie before. We talked about it when it came out. And I think a strong case could be made that this is one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Every time I watch it, I like it more. I think the production design is incredible. The cinematography is like so lush and enveloping. The performances across the board are absolutely top tier the editing, the way it chops up the story and kind of presents things to you out of order is wonderful. It like runs you through this gauntlet of emotions and reactions from devastation to swooning romance and all the stuff in between. I think it's like, it has really, a, a, I mean, laugh out loud comedy moments in there too. It's, it's just like everything I want in a movie. Um, I, I was, you know, my wife and I were watching it and I was like, man, I, I may have underrated this movie when it came out. I know I liked it a lot back then, but I know I put this in my top 10, but uh, but I probably, unless this was like number three in 2019, because 2019 was a great year for movies, I, I did not rank this properly. And I went back and I actually did have it number three behind Parasite and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And I, I think I stand by that, uh, that ranking or whatever, but that shouldn't take anything away from Little Women because it's like, I think a stone cold masterpiece at this point. So yeah, uh, for sure. Just a great movie. Um, okay. I also saw The Boys in the Boat, which is uh, George Clooney's new movie. Um, this one comes out on Christmas Day. I don't really have much to say about this because with one notable exception that I won't spoil here, I found it to be just like a sturdily made but largely formulaic sports drama. Um, it's about the uh, University of Washington uh, crew team, rowing team, basically, that uh, that I guess, spoiler alert for real history, ends up going to the Olympics to compete You know, as the the U S crew team essentially. Um, and you know, it's just, it's very formulaic. We've seen this type of thing dozens, if not hundreds of times. And even though the details are different because this is based on a true story, the movie never really does anything to make it like stand out. There's, I guess there's nothing wrong with a film leaning into, uh, genre conventions. Like there have been plenty of movies where my reaction to something is basically like, I knew exactly what kind of movie that was going to be going in, but it really executed X, Y, or Z especially well. And for me, there just wasn't that extra element of the boys in the boat 
really elevating anything or, or executing anything particularly well. So, okay. um, you know, it, it's it's tough to recommend to anyone unless you're just in the mood for a very familiar underdog down the middle sports story, which, you know, those movies have their place. Um, but I, I was just kind of hoping for something a little bit more from George Clooney back in the director's chair from this one. But uh, that's the boys in the boat. Um, like if you're if you're uh, with your family this Christmas and nobody can agree on what movie to see, this one's very inoffensive. It's very like you know everybody will probably just like walk out of that going like oh that was a, a decent way to spend an hour and a half or whatever. So that's probably the best the kindest thing I can say about it, I guess. Um, have you seen the color purple yet, Brad, the, the 2023 version? I have not. Okay. Did you see the Steven Spielberg version? Yes, definitely. Okay. I have never seen that version. Uh, so this was my introduction to this story. Would you recommend that I go back and watch the the Spielberg version? Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, yeah, it is, it's a, a stellar film from Spielberg for sure. I, I think it's absolutely worth watching. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. It's, it's one of those that like, I've never... I, don't, I guess I just don't know what the cultural reputation of that movie is. Um, so I've never known if it's just like a sort of like a forgotten masterpiece or if like everyone agrees that it's brilliant or like what the sort of temperature of the room, so to speak, is on, on his version of Color Purple. But um, yeah, this one, I, I'm sorry to say, like I, I didn't really... I thought the narrative was compelling and the performances were all really good, but the musical aspects didn't really do much for me. I, I didn't think the songs were particularly memorable there's one exception there's a big moment for daniel brooks who i thought was like capital g great in this movie um and i kind of thought that like the dance numbers in this felt disjointed or like um unconnected from the rest of the action in a way that uh and it made me think that this version might have been better off just staying on stage instead of trying to be translated into a movie adaptation um, Blitz Bazawule, I think is how you say his name. The director is an interesting filmmaker who can compose like really gorgeous, striking imagery. I talked about seeing his 2018 micro budgeted movie, the burial of Kojo on the podcast a long time ago, like many years ago. Uh, and he went on to direct part of Beyonce's black is King, which came out, uh, sort of in support of the lion King in 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that movie is like a visual feast. And there are some moments in the color purple, this version that are just like uh, visually um, astounding to behold, but like as a cohesive sort of connected thing, it just didn't really click for me. So uh, I I don't know if I'm in the minority on that. I think the reviews have just sort of started to come out in the past day or day or so. Uh, But this is another one that comes out on Christmas day, I believe. Um, so yeah, that's where I stand. I'd be curious to know, especially hearing from you, Brad, what you think about it compared to the Spielberg version. Cause like I said, I've never, I don't have that uh, data point to, to make that comparison. But All right. uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about is a movie called the taste of things. Have you seen this one yet? Have you heard about this one? I have not, <sighs> man. I I'm, this is like one of those movies that technically was released for like awards consideration in 2023, but it isn't getting, uh, a limited release or even a wider release until February of 2024. So I feel bad putting this on my favorite movies of 2023 list, but I'm going to do it because, you know, I'm playing by the Oscars rules basically. Um, but I'm, I'm sad about it because I want everybody to see this movie right now and I want to be able to talk about it. So I'm, I'm going to try to talk about it in, in vague terms. But uh, the director is uh, Tran An Hung, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He's a Vietnamese director. This is a French movie. 
And for me, this instantly catapults into the pantheon of all-time great movies about food. This is set in France in the 1880s, and it is about a cook played by Juliette Binoche, who has this really long, like decades-long working relationship with a gourmet chef played by an actor named Benoit Magamel, who I was not familiar with, but it was really good in this. And their relationship goes from this uh, this cooking-centric relationship, and it it eventually bubbles over into this full-blown romance. And it's it's about the meals that they make together and the act of creation and what it feels like to be in a relationship with a partner who speaks the same creative language as you do and how thrilling that can be. And also how cooking for somebody else can be one of the most personal expressions of love that there is. Um, this reminds me a lot of movies like Big Night. I don't know if you, have you ever seen Big Night. It's like the Stanley Tucci movie that's also very much about food. Have you ever I, seen that I have one? not, no. Oh man, it's great. It's from the nineties. Uh, excellent stuff there. Um, but like if you, did you watch the bear, Brad? Are you oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I love the bear. So it, there's a scene in season two of the bear. I think it's the second to last episode, maybe uh, where one character makes an omelet for another character. Yeah. And the best way that I can describe the taste of things is it's kind of like that scene from the bear, but like a hundred times more romantic. Okay. Um, it's, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that love and care that went into making that omelet in the bear, that, that feeling is sort of like, um, sort of permeates all of the taste of things. And there's this big sort of swooning romantic equality to the whole thing too. It's also one of the most beautiful movies that I saw in 2023, like all of the cooking scenes. And there are a bunch of them are so lovingly shot that you feel like you're standing right there in the kitchen and you can practically smell the food emanating from the screen. I mean, even if you just watch the trailer, you're, you'll get a sense of that. And I, I think this movie is like, yeah, like an instant all timer, just like terrific. Um, it got a limited run for awards consideration. Like I said, because it's going to be the French uh, submission for best international feature at the Oscars. Um, but I think it's come, getting like a limited release on February 9th and then expanding wider on Valentine's Day. So okay. uh yeah, just circle circle this one on your calendar if you care about food movies because uh the taste of things is like yeah, right up there at the top of the pile for me. So Okay. Um speaking of food, tell me what you've been eating recently, Brad. Oh, definitely some some holiday treats. Uh but before I get to to the holiday treats, uh, I want to dig into something that uh took took a lot of energy, uh, took, took a lot of time to consume. Uh, and that is the Wonka menu at IHOP, the International House of Pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, why did you do this to yourself? Uh, you know, I just I'm a glutton for punishment. Really, I'm just a glutton in general, I think. Um, but I, so, yeah, there's a there's a whole menu at, uh, at IHOP that is inspired by the new Wonka movie. Uh, and so I, I because I cover like to cover stuff like this over at my Brad's Junk Instagram. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, it's at look at Brad's Junk. Uh, where I focus on new fast foods and snacks and soft drinks and that kind of thing. Uh, and so when when this was announced, you know, I, I reached out to, to IHOP about trying it out. And so they, they set me up with the ability to do that at one of my local uh, IHOP locations. And so I went over there. And so thankfully, I, I, I split this, you know, with, with people. So I wasn't sitting there just <laughs> eating all these things by myself, uh, which would have just looked really sad, probably. Um, but yeah, so they, they just have a, a variety of things that like take, you know, different um like sweet cues and also aesthetic cues from the movie. So they have like perfectly purple pancakes, which are actually purple pancakes that have this like uh, cream cheese, uh, uh, cheesecake, like mousse in the middle with uh, this like uh, purple uh, cream cheese fr frosting on, on uh, icing on top of it. Uh, they had this like 
uh, uh, prickly pear lemonade that has like a little cotton candy fluff on top of it. And they did like a drizzle of uh, like almost like vanilla, I guess, frosting, like on the the side of the glass with with sprinkles. Um, They had like a strawberry chocolate flavored hot chocolate. Uh, They had this berry biscuit uh, concoction. Uh, and then for for whatever reason, this was the weird weirder one that they had is they they had a, like like a special Wonka burger, but there wasn't anything that was particularly Wonka about it because it just, it, it just it just had avocado and hash browns and like a special IHOP burger sauce on it. I'm not sure why they went the burger route. Like at the very least, they could have done something like a peanut butter burger, which would have made perfect sense. And if you haven't had a peanut butter burger and you're thinking that sounds disgusting. Just give it a try because you might be surprised by how well the peanut butter actually goes with with the burger. It's actually <laughs> it's actually surprisingly good. But they did, I have didn't do that. It's the burger was still decent, but uh, if you're going to try the Wonka menu, go for something like uh, the purple pancakes because even though it is it seems unnatural to put something purple uh, like that in your mouth, uh, it's it's actually pretty good. It's it's definitely sweet, and you won't want to sit there and eat a whole serving of these pancakes. Uh, but I I still I still enjoyed. Uh, the experience that for me, I think honestly, my my favorite thing might have might have been actually the the lemonade. The lemonade was particularly uh, flavorful because even with the cotton candy fluff that you can that you dunk into it and it disintegrates, the lemonade still wasn't too sweet. And I think it's just because it's it's like pear flavor lemonade too, so you're not getting like an o- overly sugary flavor with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was uh, yeah, I, I had I had fun trying it out. Do you know how long they're going to be keeping this Wonka menu available for people? I want to say that it goes into early January. Um, and I'm double checking that to make sure right now because there was a note when it was officially announced. And uh, yeah, January 7th is when it's available till. Okay, cool. Uh, what else have you been eating recently? I also tried uh, a new flavor of Little Bites muffins. You know those little muffins from Entenmann's? Do you like those? I do. Like those muffins? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have a new cinnamon bun flavor. Uh, and so they uh, it's a cinnamon flavor muffin, and it has like these little kind of like, I guess you could say like uh, cream cheese frosting, like kind of like chips in it. Um, and they're not bad. I kind of wish that there was a little bit more of like the, the cinnamon roll frosting flavor in, throughout because otherwise they kind of just taste mostly like a traditional cinnamon flavored muffin. Uh, so they didn't like, you know, uh, you know, they're not like a new favor or anything for that. For me, I think it's, it's still either the blueberry or the chocolate chip muffins uh, are the way to go. But uh, so you heard it here from Brad first needs more buns, <laughs> more buns, always. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also tried uh, a new flavor of uh, holiday cookies from Pepperidge Farm, and it's a holiday nog cookie. And so every year they bring back their their chessmen butter cookies. I'm not sure if those are year round actually. They they might, but they they always give them like a, a holiday uh, glow up, you know, in special bags things like that around around Christmas time. Uh, but this one is is definitely a Christmas inspired flavor because it is holiday nog, and it is it still has the the same you know butter cookie base, but the it has like a a cinnamony nog flavored uh, touch to it, and it's not it's not overwhelming. It's not like even like a frosting that's on it. It's it's like it's basically mixed into the cookie itself, uh, and so it's it's subtle enough that like it doesn't overwhelm the the good taste of like a butter cookie if you like the butter cookie, um, but it does add like you know just, just a little bit of uh, of cinnamon you know cr- creamy kind of like flavor to it that uh, hmm. it works works pretty well. You know, I didn't I wasn't you know in love with it, but I, I still enjoyed it. 
Okay, so those are those are uh, holiday nog cookies from Pe- Pepperidge Farm. Jeez, can't speak right now. Uh, what else have you been eating, Brad? Uh, I also tried an, um, a seasonal flavor of almond from Blue Diamond. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think these are new. I think they do them. They're newer, but they've been doing them seasonally. I think for like two or three years now, maybe. Uh, but they have a Snickerdoodle flavored uh, almond from Blue Diamond out there. Uh, and these are really good. The the seasoning on these, uh, it's just the right amount of sweet and cinnamony. Uh, really captures the snickerdoodle flavor. Um, and normally, I'm not a, a person who really enjoys uh, eating nuts unless they're like honey roasted or uh, some something like that. And like especially if you get them like warm, you know, from like an actual, you know. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Like a mark. like those like fried peanut stands or yeah, something on the yeah, side of the road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are my, my my favorite way. But uh, but these are actually still good. They just they just come in a can and like the uh, the flavor on them was was solid. I, I enjoyed them. They're good to just throw them in like a dish for the holidays or something. Nice. Yeah. Or boiled peanuts, not fried peanuts. Well, I guess I maybe can you fry a peanut? I don't know. I'm sure. Some, I'm sure so, somebody someone has. probably did. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's get into the the last segment here, which is what we've been playing. What have you been playing, Brad? Uh, you know, I like to keep up with the latest video games, and that's why I just finished Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, no, not Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which actually came out earlier this year, but Fallen Order, uh, which came out several years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's like a 2018, 2019 release. You bet or your sweet ass it is. Okay, so what did you think about this game? Uh, man, this game was so much fun. Uh, I, I really like this game game a lot. It's uh, It really puts you right in the world of Star Wars. Uh, the way it, it progresses, the narrative is cool with the flashbacks helping you unlock more uh, force abilities, learning more about this this character and, and his history. Um, it, it, I, I do think that there is something to be said about having like uh, a, a, an actor that you're familiar with play a key role in a video game. Uh, and having Cameron Monaghan... Uh, in this rule kind of make really does make it feel like you're kind of playing, you know, in, in a movie. Um, the one complaint I think I have about this game is that the gameplay itself requires little too much repetition as far as doubling back and sometimes even tripling back and covering the same ground you've covered before and having yes. to go through areas again without really any, without much of a new challenge, except for all of a sudden there's a new, more intimidating version of a bad guy you've already faced before. And I wish that there was a little more variation as far as the ground you covered and not having to go back to the same two or three planets several times to just just unlock new areas. Yeah, I played this as well. And honestly, I like I played it when it came out and I I could not tell you if I even finished the game because the the dominating thought that I have, the memory I have of playing it is doing that exactly what you just said, that doubling back and like I, I may have just given up because I had to double back so many times that I was just like, forget it. This isn't fun anymore. I'm just like recovering the same ground. Um, so I wish that element of the game was not in place because I really enjoyed the idea of, you know, just going through it in like a, a linear way. Um, and, and if they had removed that component, I feel like the the experience would have been much more enjoyable for me. But I don't know. Maybe maybe we're in the minority on that. I'm not yeah, sure. the, the upside is that like, you you learn enough new things as you go along that like it, it makes it so that traversing certain areas is is easier when you have better abilities and you unlock certain capabilities with like the the droid and, and tools and stuff that you have but it's yeah there's still just it's it's sometimes it's just too much ground to recover to have to go back and i would have much rather seen you know some something new and just ex- expanded the roster of like areas that you that you go to so mm-hmm. uh, i do wonder if they like fixed any of that in in survivor or anything like that i haven't read any reviews because i hadn't yet played the first game and i didn't want to spoil anything so and it's yeah it's probably going to be a little while before i play that one because i don't yet have a playstation 5 so 
Yeah, I don't either. I was going to ask if if Survivor is like next up on your list or whatever, but it's probably going to be a few years, maybe. Yeah, and honestly, I I think what will happen is I'll probably wait to get a PlayStation Five until Grand Theft Auto Six comes out because I think that's going to be the game that really pushes me to like get a next gen system finally or current gen yeah, system as it were. I think I'm probably going to be right in the same boat. Like there's a part of me that doesn't even want to engage with it because I just know it's going to suck up so much of my time. <laughs> but like at the same time, I loved the experience of playing Grand Theft Auto five when that came out in I think 2013 or something. Yeah. And uh, I remember how much fun I had with that. So like that might be enough to get me to buy a PS five and buy that game and then devote whatever 70 hours or something to playing Grand Theft Auto. Endless time. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, fun stuff there. Uh, if anybody wants to get us a Christmas present, <laughs> reach out and drop drop me and brad both a ps5 would be greatly appreciated yeah I, I, would, I would i would love it i would love it you hear that playstation i know you're listening um okay i think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show you can find much more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and i will link to a few things in the show notes as well slashfilm daily is published every weekday bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple overcast spotify wherever you get podcasts please subscribe to our newsletter there's a link for that in the show notes as well send your feedback questions comments concerns and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to rate and review the show on apple Podcasts or spotify tell your friends spread the word thank you so much for listening no episode tomorrow and we will talk to you all on friday Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.